0: So thankful. Lord, I just think of the technology being used today that wasn't here. Uh, Even decades ago, even 10 years ago, this would have been difficult. Lord, but at just this right moment in time, we find ourselves isolated physically, but united together spiritually by your Holy Spirit and by your word. Lord, this morning I'm reminded that uh, there are churches gathering together in different ways today, doing things differently than normal, Uh, but Lord, I would pray for them. Lord, I think of Cheyenne Alliance Church this morning and Pastor Jason Taylor. I would pray uh, that you would be blessing them and their congregation this morning, that you would allow them to find new ways to to fellowship and to grow in their faith. Father, that you'd be encouraging them through the word. Father, give their leaders wisdom. Lord, I thank you for the, the people we've sent out into this world. Lord, I thank you for uh, Calvary South this morning. Lord, a, such a tumultuous time for them to go from uh, what they're used to, uh, then, then one week They have a new interim pastor. And the very next week, they're booted from the schools because of the coronavirus. And Lord, now trying to figure out how to become a 100% online church on the fly, Lord, I would pray for Randy and for Stacy, his wife. I pray for the elders that are there. Lord, that you would be blessing them with wisdom and insight. Father, I pray for the people of that church, that you would be building them up. Lord, I pray that... um, this time of absence for them would help them to grow fonder of meeting together. Lord, I pray for the ministries in our own church. There's so many ministries that uh, people are used to being a part of day-to-day and week-to-week, and they're just not there right now. Lord, I think about the American Heritage Girls and this uh, group of parents and this uh, great group of kids who've devoted uh, so many Tuesdays to investing in and caring for one another for building each other up and strengthening one another. But I pray for those ministries that uh, during this time of of sabbatical of absence uh, that you'd be using it to regroup them to encourage them and strengthen them and give them new paths forward. Lord, we pray this morning for our own service, we pray uh, as we go into Revelation chapter 9 this morning that we would we be careful to not overassume things about your word, but we would also be careful to recognize the truth that your word is for us today. Even if the events described are sometime in the future, oh Lord, help us to know how we're supposed to respond today as we see these things. Would you open up your word to us, Lord? I know that you have inspired every single word. We know that all scripture is inspired by you. It's God-breathed. Father, would you breathe your word into our life this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning, everybody. Uh, I'll give you a second or two to get your Bibles and to open them to Revelation chapter 9. If you are not uh, one who has a Bible handy, it's okay. You can pull it up on your phone or however you want to do that. But I think it's important that you uh, get the chance to read these words along with me in your Bible, in your own personal Bible, uh, as best you can. Uh, Let me give you just a quick rundown. Uh, The book of Revelation reminds us that Jesus is coming. This is this vision that was given to the Apostle John of of Jesus Christ and of the end time events and showing us how all of this is going to lay out and play out. Uh, The way we've outlined this is to say uh, that there is the vision that John has seen. That's this picture of Jesus Christ. There's the things that are. That's the age of the church. And you see that represented in chapters two and three. Uh, But it's starting in chapter 4, it talks about the after these things type events. And for us, uh, we believe that the after these things starts specifically with the rapture of the church. That from that point forward in the book of Revelation, the church itself is watching from heaven. Everybody right now who's a believer in Jesus Christ uh, would be watching these things on heaven vision. A whole new way of viewing the world. And so that for me is an exciting way to think through it. Uh, but I do think it's still important to see the events that happen after that. Number one, so it'll give us a reminder of the importance of evangelizing, that we would let people know what we're, what we're, what we're experiencing now is important to what we will experience in the future. For those who are uh, currently believers in Jesus Christ, that they would have uh, the uh, ability to... Um, sorry, my slides changed accidentally. I tapped the screen. Um, But anyway, that people would be able to look at their friends and and explain to them why they're believers in Jesus Christ. And so, (laughs) the thing keeps changing. First slide. Anyway, I didn't touch it that time. That's all I know. Um, So, I've completely lost my train of thought, and it's even more awkward on camera. Let's just start by reading the passage and see where we're going with this. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth. And the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit, like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. So what we have here is... Now the fifth of seven angels blowing a trumpet. And of course, these different uh, plagues, these different calamities on earth are tied to events in heaven. And so we saw previously, uh, we saw seven seals being opened and each seal revealing something else. It started with the four horsemen of the apocalypse and then on to different things. And then finally that seventh seal was opened uh, in chapter 8 in verse 1, and when that seventh seal was opened, seven angels appeared, each one with a trumpet, and now each one of those angels in chapter 8 blew their trumpet in heaven and something happened on earth, kind of one thing after another for the first four. So now we pick it up with that fifth trumpet, it sounded, and John says, I saw a star from heaven, and this is important the way he, the way he words this, a star from heaven which had fallen. He's telling us this is about a fall that happened in the past from heaven to earth. And this star, interestingly enough, at the end of verse one, is called him. And so when we understand those those words that he's using when we put them there, what we understand is he's trying to tell us this isn't a normal star. This star is representative of a person or of someone or something. And in this case a him Who has fallen from heaven. So, two things that I would look at here. uh, What we see at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, when Jesus is holding uh, the seven stars in his hand, we're told that those seven stars represent the seven angels of the churches. And so, there seems to be a correlation between the stars in the book of Revelation and angels. And so, in this case, what I believe is that the star that fell from heaven is a fallen angel, specifically I believe that this happens to be the fallen angel who we now know as Satan. Uh, For those that don't recall how that worked out in history past, uh, that Satan was one of the angels in heaven, uh, but he essentially became prideful. He began to think to himself that he could be God, that he could do as much or better than God. And so he sparks a rebellion, he's thrown from heaven to earth, and with him, a third of the angels went as well. And so we would now see Satan as the leader of those angels and those fallen angels with him uh, would be what we would call the demons today. But this angel, who I believe is Satan, that was seen by John is given a key here in verse 1. And it's a key to the bottomless pit. And as we kind of study out this idea of the bottomless pit, of course, we see it several times here in chapter 9. We'll see it again in chapter 11, chapter 17. We'll see it again in chapter 20. Uh, every time this bottomless pit seems to be a storehouse for demonic beings. And you can even gather that if you look at 2 Peter chapter two verse 4, and even the book of Jude in verses 6 and 7. But you get kind of this idea that the bottomless pit or the abyss, uh, as it's also called in some translations and other places in here as well in the book of Revelation, uh, that that happens to be a prison or a storehouse for demonic beings. And now Satan is given a key to open up that bottomless pit. And so when he opens it in verse 2, it says that smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. So if you can imagine that eerie scene that John is now seeing, Satan handed a key, which reminds us that Satan is subordinate to God because all of this happens in God's timing and in God's way. Satan doesn't Make this plan. This is Satan, whether he likes it or not, following God's plan. But he's given this key to this bottomless pit, and when he unlocks the door to the pit and opens it, can you just imagine now the smoke billowing out so much so that it that it darkens the sky? Well, then in verse three, we find that the smoke is not the only thing that comes out of the bottomless pit. It says in verse three, then out of the smoke. "...came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree, but only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not permitted to kill anyone, but to torment for five months." And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. And in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die and death flees from them. The appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle and on their heads appeared to be crowns like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women and the hair, and their teeth were like the teeth of lions They had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings, and in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. They have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. The first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. And so, this angel has blown his trumpet. The key to the bottomless pit is given to Satan. And it says, As the smoke comes out, with the smoke come out locusts upon the earth. But these aren't your typical locusts. Uh, These locusts are a little bit different than anything that's ever been seen before. Uh, And people have tried to figure out what they are. And so they'll go through uh, verses 7 through 11 there where it gives the description of them. Uh, There's a key word in there that's very important in verses 7 through 11. It's the word like. So they're like horses, like the faces of men, like the hair of women, like the teeth of lions, like breastplates of iron, like the sound of chariots, like scorpion stings. But it's this idea that it's not exactly like a locust. John's just doing his best to describe some creepy thing that comes out of the bottomless abyss that he has never seen before. He's trying to describe this in writing, and he's got to do this uh, through his own imagination, really, because uh, he's never had the advantage that we have. Uh, We had the 1980s with every horror movie ever made. We have every movie about the book of Revelation ever made. So we can have kind of these visions of what we see, these things. John didn't have TV. He didn't have all those types of things. He has to take what he visually sees and write down and describe it to us. And so all he can say is it was like this thing. It was like that thing. It was like this thing. But the idea that he's giving us here, when he says locusts, these are not normal locusts. People have tried to figure out what they are over the years. Uh, and there's all kinds of ideas. Uh, some have tried to disca- describe it as specific armies that are out there. Uh, some have tried to describe it. I saw one this week. It was a picture of a helicopter, and so they tried to you know, make it look like this by just describing it and using the same terms here, that this is probably describing helicopters or something like that. Uh, I think all of that is just foolishness. Uh, Again, I think the Bible is pretty clear on what it wants us to think things are. Uh, When the Bible makes something clear, we should probably just stick with that. Uh, These are quite clearly, I believe, demonic locusts, demonic spirits that are sent to the earth with this plan, with this purpose to torment people. For five months. That's just what they are. Uh, It seems very clear to me when we understand how this bottomless pit works. uh, When we understand that Satan is the one who is over it. Or later on when it says uh, that there is a king in verse 11. It says they have a king over them. And it describes the king as the angel of the abyss. Which I believe is the star that has fallen that was given the key. So I believe that their king is Satan. And so we have kind of a clear, I think, a clear picture here that these critters are supernatural critters. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, I don't happen to believe uh, that uh, any of the events of the book of Revelation have happened yet. The clearest understanding of the passage would be that this is something that is never seen before. This is something brand new. This is something that has a completely different look to it. And it comes from a place that has never been revealed before. And so it's a, a powerful demonic Uh, oppression on the earth, Uh, there is physical torment that comes with this, but the torment is interesting. There's two interesting things about the torment. The first is, and both of these things are limiting natures to the torment, but here's the two limits of the torment. Limit number one of the torment, they're only allowed to do this for five months, but they can't kill people. So it's limited by the time frame and its ability. So in other words, it's not just torment, it's, it's torture for five months. But it's also limited in who can be tormented or tortured. These demonic spirits cannot torment or torture those who have the seal of God, it says in verse 4, on their foreheads. Now we talked about that previously in Revelation chapter 7. But during the time of the seals on earth, uh, when God is is breaking the seals in heaven, there will be a number of people from the nation of Israel, as well as the multitude of nations, who will actually come to follow Jesus Christ during this. And they will be sealed on their forehead. I believe that seal is the seal of the Holy Spirit, the same seal that believers have today. And I believe uh, for demonic beings they can see that seal. They recognize the people of God. Demons know where the Spirit of God is. And so they have no ability to torment these uh, fairly new believers here on earth. And remember, they became believers quite simply because uh, God opened up heaven. It says he split the sky and they could see up into heaven. And some people feared for their lives and refused to turn, but some people gave their life to him because they could see the slain lamb beside the throne of God. And so you see kind of these two groups of people now, the sealed of God and then those who have refused to repent. Well, those who have refused to repent for five months are going to be tortured and tormented. They're going to beg to die, but it's not going to happen. Now, you're going to want to keep that in mind as we get to the end of this chapter. These people tormented for five months watching all the people of God not be tormented seemingly are still so caught up in themselves that they're going to refuse to turn away from their sins. It's kind of like the strong-willed children. Spank them as much as you want. They're going to do whatever they want anyway. God has been consistently reaching out to them. Well, these guys are some creepy critters. Again, we, we talked about what they look like. Uh, Verses 7 through 11 gives you their appearance. They're they're locusts. They They have the appearance of a locust, but as a locust, they also look like horses somehow, and they have crowns on their heads. And they have faces, though, like men, and hair like women, and teeth like lions. And you start to put this picture together in your mind, and you're getting quite a creepy critter. They're wearing some sort of an iron breastplate, iron armor around themselves. Their wings make the sound of chariots or of many horses rushing to battle. So there's a a volume connected to this. There's a a loudness that they're trying to get across here. Uh, These locusts have tails like scorpions with stingers on them. And it's these tails that are tormenting people. It says that uh, in their tales in verse 10 is their power to hurt men for five months. And so imagine now five months of being stung by demons. And now you're asked to pick a side. Do I want to be on God's side where nobody's being stung? Or do I want to continue to be on Satan's side? Or I see what torment feels like now and imagining now what that might be long term. Well, this is... Led by a king, and I believe that king is Satan himself. In verse 11, they have a king over them, the angel of the abyss. That's who the king is. And we, I believe that's the same angel as the star from heaven which had fallen that was given the king. Satan is uh, who that is. He's given his name here. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon. His name in Greek is Apollyon. If I was to put his name in English, it would be destroyer. That's what both of those names mean. The Hebrew name Abaddon, the Greek name Apollyon, they mean destroyer. And of course, we know Satan as a destroyer. He loves to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's who he is. And this is described here in verse 12 as the first woe. And that connects to chapter 8, verse 13. Uh, If you recall, uh, there was an eagle that flew at the end of chapter 8 in mid-heaven. And it said with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. The fifth trumpet was the first woe. And then the sixth trumpet in verse 13 here in chapter 9 that we'll be seeing will be the second woe, and then we'll see the third woe uh, later on uh, in chapter 11. But here's now these, these various woes that are going out, each one of these trumpet blasts. Uh, are so bad that after the things that followed from the seven seals and the first five trumpets, these things are worse, is what it's getting to. So there's your first woe. Uh, Let's look at our second woe, which some of you might already be saying, whoa, this is enough, this is ridiculous. This is crazy how horrible this stuff is. But let's keep reading in verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God... um, One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. So now we're seeing the sixth trumpet blown here. The angel blows the sixth trumpet. And when that happens, uh, John is going to hear a voice. And it tells us not specifically who the voice is, but where the voice is coming from, which will actually tell us who the voice is. In this case, he hears a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And so the golden altar before God is where the altar of sacrifices were in the Old Testament temple and tabernacle. They have on the corners these horns that come up or these uh, spikes, I guess you could look at it, something along those lines. Uh, This is what the priests would hold on to when they were bringing the sacrifices. Uh, Somewhat of a picture of transferring now sin onto the altar. We have that represented again in Revelation chapter 8. And then in verse 3, you recognize that there was another angel. It says in verse 3, another angel came and stood at the altar. So this is the angel that's holding the golden censer and the incense, which is the prayer of the saints. So in this moment, when the sixth angel sounds his trumpet, you're going to hear a voice, uh, which I happen to believe is the angel that's holding our prayers before God. And he's going to say to the sixth angel, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Uh, I bring that up only to remind us that our prayers now have an eternal impact when we've been praying for justice, when we've been praying for God's kingdom to come, just as a reminder, those those prayers have been stored up in heaven for just the right time. And I love that way that's described in verse 15. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were release, released. They've been stored up for the exactly right time. I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe these Four angels are probably the same four angels that we saw in Revelation chapter seven, uh, that they were holding back the four winds, but they weren't able to harm the earth. It says until the sealed servants of God had uh, the servants of God had been sealed on their foreheads, and so there was kind of this holding off of those guys early. But now those four angels seem to be released here. And when they release, they have a job to do. It's to kill a third of mankind. That's what these four angels are going to do. Well, the number of the armies, it tells us in verse 16, this is kind of a a strange little uh, transition there where it tells us about the four angels. It now begins to describe this army that's going to follow those four angels or be released by those four angels. Let me just read through this again, describing the army. It says, the number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them. So this isn't even like John looking out and saying, I think that looks like about 200 million people. No, he was specifically told the number. I heard the number of them, 200 million army. Now, uh, let me just put that number 200 million in perspective. The largest standing army on earth right now is China with 21 million people in it. This is a huge army, 200 million people, but it's also a strange army. Listen again to what this army looks like in verse 17. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. So this is what this army looks like. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth, And of brimstone. The heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. That's the description. Jump to verse 19. The power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads and with them they do harm. So it is it's like a horse. The riders on the horse have these uh, breastplates that have the color of, fire and hyacinth and brimstone. It's kind of this blend of red and purplish blues and yellows, which just to me just looks like fire. When you blend all of those colors together, that's kind of what you would see if you're looking at a campfire. But that's what the riders look like. But the horses are not normal horses. And again, uh, this is why I don't think this is what we would consider a standard army. Now, people have tried to say this is likely maybe some sort of a tank or something like that, or some sort of a special military vehicle. I think all of that is speculation. Uh, I think if you connect it to the things that happened at the fifth trumpet, uh, there's quite a likelihood that this is somehow connected to demonic beings again. Uh, So maybe a demonic army of some sort here. Uh, But the description of these horses, just imagine a horse now, but replace his head with the head of a lion and have that lion breathe fire and now replace the tail of the horse with a snake. And so now you have... This lion-headed, fire-breathing horse with a snake tail. With some sort of fiery-looking rider on top of it. Again, these are things we've never seen before. Uh, What's interesting, though, is what this army brings with them. It doesn't mention that they kill them by force. No, the death comes not because of the army's military might. The death, it tells us, comes because of what the horses are breathing Out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. So if you can imagine that, and it's those things in verse 18, a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. And so again, we have kind of this strange picture here. I'm not opposed to these things describing other things that are already in the natural world, but just in a more general sense, uh, I would say this, it's simpler for me to keep the picture that John has and connect this to something else. Uh, Now, maybe when we someday see these things, uh, it might be obvious to us. Uh, But right now, what we're seeing in this world, there's nothing like that, in my opinion. I've kind of looked at some of the pictures of the military vehicles. People think that those are, and they try to imagine, like, well, imagine how a gun looks when you shoot. And when you shoot the gun, what comes out of it is kind of this little fireball. And it's just like that today. Well, not like this. This is... The heads of I don't know, this is just different to me. This is completely different. This is not something that I would associate with current military weapons. This is something that seems to be an army that has its own mind. Uh, It seems to be uh, somehow spiritually connected to these four angels who existed for this specific time in history. All of this coming down to God's timing. So, uh, just real quick, when it talks there uh, about brimstone, uh, brimstone is most closely related to sulfur. If you want to kind of just envision what this is like, uh, maybe sometime when you have a minute, uh, strike a match. Just just light a match and that smell of sulfur that comes off. That's what it would be like, but now multiplied times 200 million, right? as this is filling the earth. and so this kind of brimstone or sulfury type smell throughout the earth and smoke and fire being breathed by these lion headed horses with snakes tails, and they're going to end up killing one third of mankind. And by the way, this is one more reason uh, that I don't believe that this connects to anything that's already happened in history. There's just nothing like this. It is important though, to recognize that there have been horrible times in history. We are reminded there have been horrible natural disasters. There have been diseases that have destroyed hundreds of thousands, in some cases, millions of people. These things have happened. And as we know, these things continue to happen today. But that's not what this is. I will say this, that God often uses disasters to draw people to himself. I think disasters, although they're not always caused by God, They're always used by God. They're an opportunity for us to be drawn to him. Uh, Look what happens here in verse 20 as we finish this out. Uh, See how this connects in your mind. Verse 20, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass, and of stone, and of wood, which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts, and I would add, nor of their skinny jeans. They did not repent of all kinds of things. Again, think about this scenario here. A demonic plague of locusts killing or or, or tormenting only those who aren't believers in Jesus Christ. And then a demon army of 200 million breathing fire that kills a third of mankind. And the people who are left, who've seen a vision of heaven earlier at the opening of the seals, who saw the throne room of God and the slain Lamb of Jesus Christ right next to him still not willing to repent. It's a sobering reminder for us of the stubbornness of our sin, of the stubbornness of our ability to ignore the things of God, to write them off, and to simply continue being who we are. We're a surprisingly adaptable people. if we haven't learned anything over the last couple of weeks, it's this that the whole world in just a matter of time can be convinced, and I'm not not against this, I'm just saying how quickly it can happen, that we can be convinced that this is somehow normal, that we're preaching to empty churches, all being done through technology, that nobody's going to work, that only drive throughs are open, that you're not supposed to touch other people. We were convinced of this so quickly. It just reminds us, of how easily we adapt to our situations and our circumstances. And I believe in the end times there's going to be a lot of people that are just going to adapt. And they're going to continue be to be who they were even when all hell literally is breaking loose around them. We don't want to be like those people. We want to be reminded to repent. You know, Jesus talked about this a couple of times. Uh, I'll go first to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. In John, chapter 12, Jesus here uh, is speaking, and I'm going to be in verse 37. And it's it's right after Jesus has been foretelling his death. He's been doing all kinds of great things. The Greeks had been... Uh, pursuing him. It said at the end of verse 36, these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. But listen to this in verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And this was all to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet which had spoken, Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed. For this reason, they could not believe. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy that people would see the signs, the healings, the amazing things that Jesus did, and they still wouldn't believe. People who actually saw Jesus Christ didn't follow. This should be a a time for us to repent. I'll turn us to Luke chapter 16 as well. In verse 31. But he said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. That Jesus was, was saying, look, he gave them the book of the Old Testament. He gave them the writings of Moses. He gave them all the prophets and all the fulfillments of all of those prophecies. And yet still people didn't believe. And then he even predicts, even if somebody was raised from the dead, people won't believe. And it's certainly true. We believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is resurrected from the dead. But even people at the time of Jesus didn't believe it. They made excuses and tried to come up with reasons instead of just accepting the actually most obvious reason, that he is who he said he was, although we should surrender ourselves to him. And then now in the book of Revelation, even in the face of demonic wars and demonic hordes, killing off and tormenting the earth. Five months of torment, one third of mankind killed. People still won't repent. It just shouldn't be that way. Look at the things that he lists here as the sins. These are the things that they didn't want to repent of. Number one, worshiping demons. They're worshiping demons at a time when demons are tormenting them and killing a third of mankind. Why would you worship demons? The second thing, idolatry. I love the way Scripture treats idolatry. Scripture mocks idolatry. Uh, it It says it like this, Idols of gold and silver and brass, stone and wood, which can neither see nor hear, nor walk. Think of it this way. An idol is something that you made. It's something you created. And that idol has eyeballs that you've carved into it, but it can't actually see you. Your God can't see you. And that idol has a mouth carved into it, but it can't talk to you. That idol might have legs carved into it, But you have to pick it up and put it in your pocket and carry it somewhere. You're going to worship an idol instead of the living God who controls nature, who controls and oversees the end of the world, who created everything? It's just foolishness. Psalm 115 in the book of Isaiah, this concept comes up over and over again. It continues to list out things they did not repent of. Murder sorcery, immorality, which in this case is specifically sexual immorality, nor thefts, but I don't believe this list is all inclusive. It's just to give us this hint that we continue to choose our sin over him. It shouldn't be this way. God is constantly calling out to us You might ask, when's he been calling out to us? He calls out in his word all the time. It's being proclaimed in pulpits all around you. It's all over the internet. It's all over the place. God calling out to you to repent in his word. And yet you refuse. He's been calling out to you through the order of nature. Even as you see nature, as you look at their creation, it must make you think there has to be a creator. And yet you refuse to turn to him. And then he uses natural disasters to get you to think about something or someone bigger than yourself. And you refuse to repent. On the day that God judges mankind, when he puts to death a third of mankind here in chapter 9, I'll say this as boldly as I can, they deserved it. They absolutely deserved it. As he cried out over and over for them. We're so thankful for God's patience because it led to our salvation. There's still more that just need to know. It's time to set aside the things that are preventing you from worshiping the God, the God who created everything, the God who loves you, the God who fulfills prophecy, the God who paid the price for your sins so that you wouldn't have to pay for them, the God that's been crying out to you over and over and over again. It's time to turn towards Him. It's as simple as calling Him Lord and living like it's true, saying, you're the one that I'm going to follow. Again, if you need help with that, I'm going to pray here in a minute, but if you need help with that, call the church office. We've got people waiting by the phone. 307 635 2977. But if today is a day that you would like to confess your sin and turn towards God, all you have to do is pray a simple prayer, and I'll lead you in it. So if you'd pray with me, pray in this way Heavenly Father, thank you for getting my attention and reminding me that you love me. Father, I confess that I've been living my life my way apart from you, living as if I was God and as if you didn't exist. Lord, would you forgive me of that? Father, would you apply the death of your son Jesus Christ to my life and credit his righteousness to me so that my sins can be forgiven and forgotten by you. Lord, I commit to live a life where you are boss, where you're in charge, where I'm going to do things your way to the best of my ability the rest of my life. Father, I thank you for your promised forgiveness and your promised salvation. Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you seal me for eternity? That I would be one who would be set aside for your use, that I would be one who would avoid the eternal torment to live in eternal heaven. Father, I thank you and I love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I want to let you guys know that um, if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, again, if you would just call the church office, we'd love to kind of begin a, a relationship with you. We'd like to begin a conversation with you we can help you grow in your faith. Uh, for those that are already believers or those that call this their church home, those that are planning to watch next week, I have a, a change announcement for you, something that uh, maybe uh, you weren't prepared for, but next Sunday is Palm Sunday. And so we're going to take a little break from the book of Revelation. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we will be starting Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 10. So if you just want to read through that every day, April 5th, next Sunday's Palm Sunday. April 12th, Resurrection Sunday. We're going to stream that no matter what happens. Uh, but with that, uh, we're going to go to Doug, and he's going to close us out in worship.